we're doing something a little special today. So um, after we finish up Acts 14, so we're going to leave the lights off. And um, if you do need a Bible for some reason, if you can, if it's lit enough here for you to see it, usually we have the lights on when we're teaching through the word. But if you need a Bible, we'll have some of our deacons passing them around. So you just raise your hand. They'll find you eventually. It might take a little longer because it's dark in here. But uh, raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, keep that as a gift from the Lord. We want you to have God's word and we want you to read along with us and read it every day, not just on Sundays. We're going to be in Acts 14, whether you scroll there on your phone or in your Bible. We're going to complete this chapter today. If you're new and visiting today, we, we simply just go through the entire word of God. We go verse by verse every week. We're currently going through the book of Acts. So we're going to finish this chapter. And just to kind of start and front load on what I want to talk about today. Last week, how many of you guys were here when Pastor Wayne Taylor taught from the word? Gave a great message last week, right? Um, but one of the things that was super encouraging to me, the word was super encouraging, but... Um, my wife and I got the privilege of hanging out with him and his wife as they came down for a night. Um, and after church, him and his wife, both in separate conversations with me and my spouse, um, were just really encouraging in, in what they saw and what they witnessed God doing at this church. Now, given it's just like a, a brief observation, but they were just saying, man, like Pastor Williams, like it was really fun teaching these people here. Like they were really vibrant. They were really in to God's word. They were like paying attention and interacting. And and uh, his wife said the same thing. She's like, man, what a special church you have here. Like the people are like alive in the spirit. Like God is moving here. And, and it was really super encouraging to me to hear that. I mean, I, I love this church. I always say, or somebody, I've heard other pastors say this, but I say the same thing. Like if I wasn't pastor of this church, I would still go to this church because I like this church. I like this church family. This is just what I see is 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 healthy in, in the fact that people come here Sunday excited for Jesus, excited for what he's going to do. Like no, no, no Sunday's the same. Like God has something special every week. That's like what I think of when I think of alive and, and vibrant. We're not just coming here to check a box. And I see that, but, you know, it's so easy to kind of, in a sense, get kind of caught up in, in just the the serving, the norms that happen every week that I can, I can lose sight of that, that man, God is, is moving every week. He wants to do something special. So it's a good reminder to hear what somebody else is observing. And it's encouraging to me like, yeah, yeah, God's doing this great work. I was really encouraged by that. And the reason I'm kind of talking about that, because in this last little section of Acts 14 that we're going to go through today, we see a great example of the same thing with Paul and Barnabas because what they're doing is they're coming back from their first missionary journey and they're coming back to their home church to uh, give a testimony or a personal witness of what God did on their trip, like to share it with their brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage them, to say, man, this is amazing what God did, all right? Same type of thing is what Pastor Wayne and his wife were doing to us and just telling us what God did. And same thing when we tell others what God is doing in our lives. All right. Now, just as a recap, if you guys haven't been following through this chapter with us in Acts 14, we, we, we've kind of focused in on, on three different principles or three different things that we saw Paul and Barnabas do along with the other believers that were beneficial for us to learn as they led to good things in their life and their relationship with Jesus or, or fruitfulness. The first was in verses one through seven. And that, that was that we saw that their mission never changed. If you guys remember, wherever they went, they told people the good news using the word of God. 
And we're going to see even today, that's what they continue to do on their way home. That was their mission, and they never changed from it. And then the second thing was in verses 8 through 18, and that is they shared the gospel with anyone and everyone. Or they shared the good news with everyone they came into contact with. If you guys remember, there was the crippled guy that probably in that society a lot of people would have ignored. He'd been that way since he was born. But Paul gave him his attention. And not only did he get healed, but he also got saved. All right, He was willing to preach this good news that that Jesus, what we're celebrating for Christmas, you know, that Jesus came, the Son of God, lived as a man, even though he was fully God, lived a sinless life and and basically was able to die on that cross and take the punishment our sins deserve so that we could be forgiven through faith in him and reconciled to God. Greatest gift we could have ever been given, God giving us his son. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And and it's for everyone in this world, all right? And so we want to share it with everyone. And, and those two principles led to them having a lot of success in sharing the good news and that a lot of people received it, believed in it, and got saved. And then last time we were together in verses 19 through 23, we saw that Paul and Barnabas devoted themselves to fellowship with other believers. Basically, they had relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And where the benefit came was during the hard times, that namely when Paul was stoned for preaching the gospel and left for dead, the other believers came around him and it says that they were the reason he was lifted up. Like he got back up and kept going. And we talked about how it's so crucial that we are devoted to fellowship with each other so that when we go through the many hard things we face in this life on this earth, that we have other people there to lift us up, to encourage us and build us up so we can endure, we can keep going until we go home to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So the last principle we see in today's text, I'm going to give it to you up front because we're not going to be in this too long, but uh, I want you to know what we're looking at as we go through it. In verses 24 through 28, write this down if you're a note taker. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were those that encouraged others by telling them all that God was doing in their lives. All right? They were those that encouraged others by telling them all that God was doing in their lives. This need for us to be reminded that God is working that he's doing great things is essential. It's critical for us to be able to endure in our ministry for the Lord, especially in the midst of adversity, in the midst of the tribulations Jesus said you would face in living in this earth. Just like Pat, it was critical. It was encouraging to hear from Pastor Wayne and his wife from me. We need that every day of our lives from other believers. All right. So let me go ahead and read this section we're going to be in. And then I'll pray, and then we'll break it down. So it says here in verse 24, Then they passed through uh, Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles And they remained no little time with the disciples. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we want to approach your word with reverence. We know it's all truth. You always prove that, Lord. There's nothing false in here. And it's all good because you're good. You can only speak good things. And so we know it's all beneficial for us to learn this and know it and apply it in our lives. Many of us, Well, all of us started out apart from you and trying to 
apply the wisdom of the world, trying to apply our own wisdom, and that only led to bad things. Things never working out. Things ending up negative. But it's through knowing you and understanding your word and listening and obeying that, as you say, we experience blessedness or happiness. We have come to know this, and so we want to pay attention to everything you have to say. So I pray even now that your Holy Spirit would be preparing our innermost beings, the soil of our souls, if you will, to receive the seeds you want to plant so they can grow and provide fruit and blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse 24 says, Then they, this would be Paul and Barnabas, they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, I want to just briefly point that out, they're continuing to do their main mission. They're just teaching the word, telling people about Jesus. And it says in in verse 26, uh, or they went down to Atalia in verse 26, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So basically they make their way back from where they went out in their missionary journey and they make their way back home where they were sent out from. And there's a couple brief things I want to point out here just in this first couple passage or couple verses. I like how it points out that they were commended to the grace of God by their church. Now, to commend something is is basically like you're you're giving your stamp of approval. You're saying this person is suitable for this thing. And so, in essence, what they're saying is that they were suitable to go out for the purpose of this mission trip, and that was to share the good news of Jesus with other people. They were suitable for doing that. Why? Because of the grace of God. All right? It wasn't necessarily because of anything special about them or any personal qualifications. I mean, these, these guys were guys that were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were probably mature in their faith, but that, that wasn't why they were suitable overall to go do what God had called them to do, all right? In essence, what qualified them to serve the Lord was that God's grace was available to them or that the Lord's favor was upon them. In family, that is the most critical truth that allows you and me to successfully serve the Lord in whatever it is he wants us to do for him, all right? And it's the reason why when the Lord asks you to do something, either in his word or something specific to your life, a ministry he wants you to do, something he wants you to do for somebody else, that's the reason why the only right response is always yes. Whether it makes sense to you or not, or whether you feel qualified or not. All right? It's because it's not you that's doing it. It's the Lord. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For God is working in you, giving you the desire in the power to do what pleases him. So the moment you place your faith in Jesus, you go from a place of wanting to please yourself in your flesh, because that's our flesh's tendency. We're born with a nature to please ourselves. Can't do good. Even in our good acts, apart from Jesus, they're selfishly motivated. It's only through God changing you and transforming you that you truly are given his motives. And what he does is he gives you the desire to do what pleases him. Now, one thing I want to point out is the desire to please him is not always going to be what you would choose for yourself. How many of you guys have experienced that in your life? All right? 
There are those gifts that God's given you that you, you just know like, okay, this is not natural. The Lord's given me this gift. I have this desire to do this thing. There are those, but then there's the other things that the Lord gives you opportunities to do that you're like, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I don't know if I really would choose to do that myself. But there's still this conviction in you of like, but I should do it because there's this desire to obey God. That's the Holy Spirit. Because we know, as Jesus says, blessed are those who hear and obey the word of the Lord. We know that obedience leads to blessing. And so even if it doesn't make sense to us, there's conviction. There's a desire that the Holy Spirit that God has placed in you to obey what he says. Can't have that apart from Jesus. But when he comes into your life, he puts that so that whenever you're reading his word, whenever he's telling you to do something, you have the desire to obey. And then he gives you the power to do what he's asking you to do. And this is so critical to understand this truth because this right here is one of the greatest hindrances to a believer doing God's will in their life and thereby growing spiritually. Because anything he's asking you to do is always for your benefit. It's not for his. God doesn't need us to do anything, but he uses us because through what we're doing, we have to rely on him and we get to see him to come through for us even when it doesn't make sense and it produces faith, it produces reliance on him, which we're way better off. It's for our benefit. Let me give you an example. When I when I first started coming to this church and I was going here for three or four years and my pastor had recognized something in me where he was, he had asked me, hey, I'd like you to teach a Devo. Eventually it led to, I'd like you to teach on a Thursday night. Eventually, it was like, I'd like you to teach on a Sunday. I had no desire to get up in front of people and teach the word of God. I am not somebody that likes public speaking. I don't consider myself a good public speaker. I, I, my desire was to be in the back and just serve. By nature, I can be a, a Martha, somebody that just does stuff all the time. I have a hard time sitting still. That's, that's my natural gifting that I'd like to do. So this whole idea of teaching God's word was like, no, no, no. I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I, I don't desire that. And the first couple times he asked me, there was a series of, no, I don't want to do that. But there was that desire to be obedient to God. There was that conviction of like, well, am I going to do what I want to do? Or am I going to do what God wants me to do? And eventually I just kind of tapped out and said, all right, I'm just going to do what God's asked me to do. And I'm going to trust that he's going to give me the power to do it. And we have opportunities like that in our lives all the time, guys. There are other things that we want to do, and then there's the thing God wants us to do. And most important is what God wants us to do. Amen? Because if we're not doing that, we're missing out. That's the reality. And it can be slowing down our spiritual growth, our relationship growing with Jesus. So that's why I point that out, man. It's the grace of God that enables any of us to do anything for the Lord and thereby thereby making it possible for you to do anything god's asking you to do okay second thing is it points out that the specific work the lord had for them on that first mission trip had been fulfilled it says it had been fulfilled in verse 26 the idea is it was completed now that doesn't mean god was done by them with them by any means because if you know the book of acts and as we go through the following chapters there was lots of work for these two guys still to do but this specific season of work 
on this first missionary journey came to a close. And I point that out because just as it is the Lord who calls us into things, most certainly he calls us out of things as well when he has something else for that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you messed anything up. It doesn't mean that he's done with you by any means. It just means that he simply has something else for you to do. And it's important for us to understand that before we ever get to that point, because sometimes we can just be discouraged when we see a season ending and we're wondering, what's the matter? What do we do? Why is this ending? Especially when you see it being fruitful and good, which is what God desires for us. So pretty much anything we're doing for the Lord, if we're doing it right, God is going to bless it. I remember when I was asked to take over as a lead pastor, I was like, but Lord, like, isn't what I'm doing good now? I mean, I'm being faithful with these different things. You know, I was the young adult pastor at the time. That was a fruitful ministry. I was serving as an elder. It's like, why would you want to change things up? But the Lord had other things for me to do that would challenge me in my faith, that would cause me to rely on him more. He had other things for other people to do in those areas that I was doing to challenge them in their faith, that caused them to rely on him and grow. There were things that he was had prepared me for in those previous things that I would be able to apply because that's part of growing. And none of that could happen unless that one season ended and the next season started. And so we want to learn to, in a sense, not fight back when God is changing things up because transition can be hard, change can be hard, it's uncomfortable. But if God's the one doing it, then it's absolutely going to be good and beneficial. And so we don't want to fight it. We don't want to wrestle. We want to, in a sense, just tap out, say, all right, Lord. And that's the most important thing we could learn because, you know, we want to make sure that we're not the ones ending seasons or starting seasons. We're just following God in and out as he leads us. Amen. That's a benefit we have of, of the Lord being in our life, having that personal relationship. He's the one that leads us through this. And if he's doing it, it's going to be good. Amen. All right. So last section, it says that when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So the Paul and Barnabas, they they come back home. They gather the church together in Antioch. Remember, this is their sending church. Most likely the church, these people were prayerfully and financially supporting them. And, and they come back to give them a report of their mission trip. The same thing when we have missionaries that come back to visit, we do. We have them come and give us a report of all God has been doing. Because we we get encouraged through that because it's not just them serving on the front lines. We're extensions of that service through supporting them, however that might be. And we want to hear of the work the Lord's doing, right? So that's what they're doing. And I want you to note that Paul and Barnabas declared or told the church not what they did for God, but what God had done with them. They understood who was responsible for all these great things that were happening. Basically, it wasn't us. We're just relaying what God did in us and and through us, like what we saw God do all around us. And one of those things was that they point out is that it was God that opened up all these doors to preach to the Gentiles. And God was the one that was responsible for this great harvest. He was the one responsible for saving all these people. And one thing that I'd want you to consider is that it makes it really clear that God is the one that opened these doors, but that didn't mean there wasn't adversity. And the reason I point that out is because sometimes we things are harder than we thought or there seems to be pushback, something getting in the way. 
And we can mistake that as like, well, maybe I don't, this isn't what the Lord wants me to do, or, or I, I don't know if I'm where the Lord wants me, or if I'm really gifted in this. And certainly we can create our own adversity, but that's not always the case. And often adversity can be a sign that you're exactly where God wants you, because the enemy doesn't want you there. Because he knows that's where God's going to use you. But on the contrary, we saw lots of adversity, right? We saw them confronted by Elemus on Cyprus, the, the magician that was convincing people not to listen to what they were saying. We saw John Mark, for some reason, leave them during the trip. He was serving with them, and then he just bails. We saw them driven out of Antioch and Iconium because the people just didn't want to hear what they were saying anymore. And then we saw Paul stoned in Lystra. But by the grace of God, they were faithful and they endured, and God saved lots of people. But it shows us, you know, that adversity in itself is not a reason to think that you're not where God wants you to be doing what he wants you to be doing amen and then it says paul and barnabas remained back there in antioch for a substantial amount of time i love it because basically god had work to do somewhere else when they were on that mission trip and then god had work to do at home and this is a great principle for us to learn from too and that wherever you're at whatever you're doing god has work for you to do all right sometimes we look ahead where we're not like i want to be there and i want to do that or we uh, revel on the things that he's done in the past. No, God wants you in the present. Wherever you're at, he has worked. Just be faithful right there. Amen? All right. So this leads to the final principle that I want to just kind of end on here before we move to the next thing we're going to do. And that is we want to be those like Paul and Barnabas that are an encouragement to others by telling them all that God is doing in our lives. I absolutely love hearing about what God is doing in other people's lives. I absolutely love telling other people what God has done in my life or what God is currently doing in my life. Because here's the thing, and maybe you guys can relate to this. It is so easy to lose sight of that. It is so easy to get caught up in the things that I don't like or that I don't understand, or that aren't happening the way I would like them to be happening. I mean, I, 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 can, I can see a room full of people here that are hungry to hear God's word, but then I know of one person that isn't here, and I focus on that one person. Why aren't they here? They should be hearing this. That's just my tendency. That's my nature. So I need to be reminded of the other hundred people here that God is speaking to, that he is working. I need those reminders so that I make sure my focus is in the right place. And I'm reminded that God is working. He is doing great things, especially when I'm discouraged or I'm anxious or I'm worried because those are things God does not have for us. And it's often because I'm distracted and my focus isn't where it needs to be. So I, it helps to bring me back to that place. And that's another benefit of being devoted to fellowship with each other because when followers of Jesus get together, what do we talk about a lot? We talk about Jesus, right? It's natural for us to talk about those we love, those we think highly of, right? How many of you guys talk a lot about your kids and your spouse, right? We talk about those people we think highly of that we, we care about. And so we're going to naturally talk about the Lord. We do that. And when we share all he's doing in our lives, maybe even share what we see him doing in other people's lives. Because you ever notice sometimes it's easy for other people to see the Lord doing stuff in your life that you don't even see. Again, because I'm distracted. 
I'm looking somewhere else and somebody's like, what are you talking about? I see this, I see this, I see this, and I need to be reminded. So when we do that, we get encouraged and we're reminded of the, as it says up here behind me, the good news of great joy. Just like the angels told those shepherds, hey, we have good news of great joy in Luke 2 when they announced Jesus's birth. We, when we're telling others our personal testimonies, our, our witness of what Jesus is doing, what he's done, you're telling people of your personal witness of that good news. That's the proof of how real God is. Nobody can deny it because you're like, no, I, I've seen it for myself. This is the proof. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time today with a sister in the Lord coming up here and sharing her personal testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ and what God has done in her life. So I'm going to have Emily Sugar come up here. I'm glad I can't see a lot of you. <laughs> I stand up and talk to people for a living. And if I could teach you math, this would be great. But telling your personal story is a little different. I haven't started yet. <laughs> I'm up here to remind you that God is faithful. God is so good and loves us. Amen. But life's not easy. And we know it's only going to get worse. But God is in control. I have to tell this to myself every morning. When I get through the, to get through the day that God's in control. And he promises all things he is working together for good. Of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. This has been a verse that is written on my heart for many different times in my life. My testimony is about God's faithfulness and how he provides for all of us, just like he promises in the scriptures that he would. I've never told my full testimony, since it brings up a lot of sadness as well as feeling ashamed. These last couple years, I've had a lot of changes in my life and many past feelings and thoughts the enemy is putting back and putting doubt and fear back in my mind daily. But God has never done with our testimony. And it's not just in the past, but he'll continue to work with us, building our testimony until the day we live with him in heaven. Part of my struggle is that I focus on the worldly circumstances and events that have happened to me. But I need to change my mindset. I want God has done through those events. So I'm using this story to focus on all the many blessings he has shown of his faithfulness in my life. This is part of my healing process, and I hope that I can remind someone else to look up. Because what the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. He has never abandoned or forsaken me. God is really working all things that have happened to me together for good. For the longest time, I believe I didn't even have a testimony to share. I was raised in a church and had parents who read the Bible to us, talked about God. I was told the gospel and the hope of Jesus at a very young age. We prayed daily as a family, and I went to youth groups, Sunday school, church picnics, church campouts, you name it. As far as I can remember, I have always believed in God. But it took me many years to know the difference between religion and going to church and having a relationship with Christ. I was born and raised in a small town of Coquille on the southern coast of Oregon, who did just win the state championship football game last weekend. I was the third of four children as when with an older brother and sister and one younger sister. We were a close-knit family, and we were raised in the United Methodist Church. My mom was a high school health and PE teacher and coached many sports until her third child came along. I guess a strong-willed, red-headed child was too much of a handful. And then she substitute, was a substitute teacher and coached sports as well as managed the local swimming pool 
in town during the summer. She was very involved in our church, teaching Sunday school and singing in the choir. My dad was an elementary teacher in our local school district. I had my dad as a fourth grade teacher, and some of my favorite memories in childhood were staying after school with him in my classroom, in his classroom grading papers, listening to him sing and him teaching me to play the guitar. He also was very involved in our church and the local theater production and went to Bible studies and sang in the choir as well. The town was only about 4,000 people, and we lived in a small neighborhood with a nice house. The same neighborhood my husband Greg would live in, but he comes later in the story. We literally had a picket fence outside our house. Both my parents worked hard, but spent time and took care of all four of us. They coached our little league teams, worked on homework with us each night, came to all our sport events, and drove us to camps. We went on family road trips often, and we were all very involved in our church. We were very loved. What I'm getting at is that I had a great childhood, and I did not have much to complain about. God had blessed me with a great family, siblings, parents, community, church family, role models, and a pretty easy life. One afternoon in August of 1991, I was working at the swimming pool with my mom. I was 13 years old when that day changed my life. My dad had been in an education conference in Portland and rolled up to tell my mom he had something to talk to her about. He had gotten in trouble with the police at a rest area on I-5 on the way home by an undercover officer advancing himself on him. This was when I found out that my dad was meeting up with men secretly and hiding another life we were unaware of. It took a couple months for my mom to share with us a little of what was happening and for the school district to become aware of the situation. My youngest sister was in his class that fall and was so excited. Remember, we were in a very small town and was very involved and active in our community. The local TV and newspaper and radio stations got wind of the event and his lifestyle and, we, and were not kind and slammed him all over the media. I remember my mom not making us go to school for about a week while we, we, were, we were the talk of the town. The school board actually had a meeting to fire him and went as far as wanting him out of the community. I was already in an awkward middle school stage and figured, was figuring out my own self, but now I was the talk of the school as well and being nicknamed a very derogative homosexual name all school year, as well as, as well as parents not wanting their kids to hang out with me or siblings or my siblings because of who my dad was, like we would rub off on them. My dad went into a deep depression and was put in the VA hospital for the time being. I still remember going to visit him in the psych ward and was terrified. My dad was a meddled Vietnam vet and was a medic on the front lines and had a lot of mental trauma that he never talked about or we even knew about until this time. My brother had gone into the military, but my mom was living on a substitute teacher salary with three girls at home and a single mom now. We could not afford all our bills, and my dad was no longer working. We were very poor, and my mom always tried her best to play the part that we were not that bad. My dad decided to leave town to start a new life and took his retirement out. He bought my mom some new appliances we needed and took the rest and left. I did not really hear from my dad for the next 10 years, for except the once-a-year check-in to see if he was still alive. He no longer wanted the life he had, but a new one with his kids or wife no longer in it. I went from very involved and a very loving dad to a dad that didn't even call me on my birthday. It got so bad one Christmas, we were cold without oil or wood to eat our house. And my mom just bought us electric blankets, and we waited until Christmas Eve to get our tree from the tree lot's burn pile. My mom worked 
multiple jobs, my older sister and I started working as soon as we could with anything we needed. Someone once told me that God really does love a good story. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew six thirty-one to 34. God was faithful and did provide. In the midst of our storm, we were flooded with love, supplies, and comfort by so many. Our church had helped pay our mortgage so we had some place to live and not be homeless. My uncle owned an oil company would send oil to my mom from five hours away. My mom's cousin lived in the town next over and would bring cords of wood for heat. My basketball coach would always help me buy basketball shoes for the season and money on the bus for away games. There was a family friend who worked at the dump and would just come weekly and pick up my mom's trash, getting random Thanksgiving and Easter baskets on our doorstep with food in it, a car given to us when we needed it by a mechanic friend. The list goes on and on. God provided and was very faithful. This was a hard time for all of us, but with God's help, my mom was so strong, and I watched her do all of this with grace and courage. She stayed true to her faith, and she did her very best. She kept bringing us to church and prayed for comfort and hope. I had no idea I would need these lessons later on in my life. With my dad and brother gone, I took it upon myself to do all the jobs my dad did. I learned how to mow, stack wood, take out trash, hose the patio, wash the cars, which are still my favorite to this day. There were so many things that were out of my control, but I could control these and help my mom. We were in survival mode, and even now some of my most natural responses is back to survival mode. I started working when I was 14, and I've never stopped because I always wanted to be able to support myself in any season of my life. I told myself I would never put myself in this situation again. I was overall a good kid in high school. I was a three-sport athlete, an excellent student, outgoing, worked full-time during the summers, and was well-liked. I did not do drugs or drink and sometimes was labeled a goody-two-shoes, but was respected by my peers. I also continued to grow in my faith over high school, over my high school years, getting baptized, involved with church, youth groups, and understanding the Bible more from my own perspective, as well as seeing the working hands of God that got us through this rough time. God was there just nudging forward little by little. By my senior year, I was offered money and scholarships to attend Southern Oregon University for cheerleading and to throw javelin and study education. In the fall of 1996, I started my college journey at Southern Oregon University. I was so glad to leave that small town and past trials that town reminded me of. I moved down as soon as I could. Being out on my own and away from my family, I did the common college thing and stopped reading the Bible, stopped going to church, and started partying with all the people around me just wanting to fit in. I still believed in God, but not walking with him anymore and living in sin. I was feeling empty and not knowing what the whole was. I tried filling it with men, partying, shopping, working out. This lasted for about eight months, and I had gotten very sick and lost a lot of weight. I was not living how I wanted and started feeling really depressed. But our God is patient and loves us and wants us to choose him. He will not force us to do anything. But he was there again, just reminding me of his love and peace that only he can give while nudging me forward just a little bit more. Fortunately, I had a group of friends that had said they went to this really cool outdoor church 
together and I asked if I could go with them one Sunday. Applegate Christian Fellowship was not the kind of church I had ever been to before. There were so many people. The worship was like I was listening to the radio and was so uplifting. The message was from the word and directly related to everyday life. That one Sunday, God spoke to me and I had tears by the end of the service. I found what I had been missing, but God. He was with me the whole time, just waiting patiently for me to turn back. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 24-7. The first summer of college, I moved back to work. Sorry, I moved home to work. I had broken up with my boyfriend of five years and was looking to be a better person and to start my life on a better path. I met a man that summer who was newly hired in a small town as a police officer. He asked me out, and I said yes. I wanted something new and exciting. He had a job, was older, smart, was raised in a church, and knew the Bible. He would go to church with me, and he wanted to have wanted me to have my own goals and continue college. I went back to Southern that second year and did football cheerleading and javelin again, but lived in an apartment away from the parties. I kept going to church and growing in my faith. But by the end of the year, I was over the party school and did not want that kind of life anymore. On my own, I sat on a Christian school, filled out the application and financial aid on my own, and sent them in my basketball highlights to get a tryout for their team. I moved up to Portland with my sister, who was attending Multnomah Bible College at the time, to go to Warner Pacific University and play basketball for them. The school would close down twice per week for chapel time, run by college students. We prayed before and after basketball games and had our own team Bible studies. I was living with my sister who was excited about the Bible and learn about Jesus. We would, type, we would talk nightly about what she learned. This was the kind of life I wanted. I felt at peace. You would keep me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3 After being raised in a very traditional Methodist church to a college student-ran chapel was a transition for me. But that opened my eyes now not to just the legalistic checklist of being a Christian I was living by, and let's face it, that gets really exhausting, but to have a one-on-one true relationship with Jesus. I grew so much in these two years and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science and a teaching degree in 2000. The same year I graduated from college, I married my boyfriend of two and a half years in October of 1999. We had never lived together or even in the same town before we got married. I thought I loved him, but now I know I was more excited about having a wedding and starting a life and to just check one more thing off my list. I wanted to stop using men in my life to fill the need of feeling loved, my past daddy issues, and wanted to check the next thing off my list. I did not really know him, and after we were married, it was a huge eye-opener right away for me. He was not who I thought he was after our first year of marriage. We had always had a long-distance relationship, and he always had on his best. He worked for the sheriff's office now in the Portland area and worked the graveyard shift. I was alone all the time, finishing school, student teaching, and working. He worked and then went out to bars with his friends each night so he could stay, so he could stay on his work schedule and would come home drunk many of the nights. I would sleep alone, go to church alone. I was lonelier now than before, but now I was married. They say that marriage is hard and it takes a lot of work. I was only 21 and did not know much about marriage. We fought all the time what it was appropriate for a married man to be doing and what kind of wife he wanted. We had bought our first house and I got my first teaching job in Scapoose. Two years in making it work and trying very hard at holding it together, I got pregnant with my first child. 
I was coaching track at the middle school and on the weekends, finishing both my master's degrees. I did find home, a home church in Scapoose I really liked, but went by myself most of the time, and he would just blame it on work for not attending. Our first child was born in June of 2003. During his three months of paternity leave, he would use the excuse to still stay on his night schedule and would tuck us into bed and go out until three in the morning, not knowing where he was or what he was doing. This was a very hard time for me because I wanted to leave and not be with him. But this is not what God wants for a marriage. And I married this man and took a vow. I would just push and try harder, but he seemed to be spiraling and going down a destructive path, and I was just watching it. But now it was just not me any longer, but my daughter deserved more. My husband at the time had gotten fired from his first job for mistreatment and false accusations on a civilian. The union said he was fired wrongly and got his job back before we left. Now in the sheriff's office in Portland, he was in the Portland area he was working for. He was now accused of fighting with another officer on duty from gambling debt and lying about a call he went on. He could not pass a lie detector test and was braided from the county and let go. He tried for a whole year to apply everywhere to be a police officer again, and no one would hire him. For a year, he lived on a, on our couch, depressed, and I was working two jobs and paying child care since he was unable to take care of our toddler. My younger sister even moved out, moved in with us to help take care of her. His job was his identity, and he would not do anything else. I had watched him spiral as well as verbally abuse me and making me feel awful about myself like it was some way my fault. I spent so many years being told I was making stuff up. I was crazy, and that no one would want me. I would ask about calls, why he was so secretive on his text messages, and who he was hanging out with until 3 in the morning. I started to believe that there was something wrong with me, and maybe I was the delusional one. After so many years, I was broken and did not know what the truth was. The only option he had was a friend who was a police chief of a small town in southern Oregon, which was right next door to my hometown I grew up in and would hire him. I had eight years of seniority in Scapu School District and always told him that I would move anywhere in the world, but please do not make me move back to my childhood home. I never wanted to go back to that area. He didn't care and took the job anyway. He could no, We could no longer afford our home, so I had to sell it and move in with my two with my two-year-old and myself into my mother-in-law's house since we had no place to move in with him yet. I had the income and the insurance, so I stayed in Scapoose for another school year, and he came up once a month to visit us. He would not speak kindly to us and could not control the situation, so he was getting more verbally abusive. The next summer, I moved in with my mom to be near my husband. That summer, we bought a foreclosure house in Scapoose to invest in and flip to make some money. I got pregnant that summer with our second and the housing market crashed. The house was on the market for six months and was not selling. I stayed in Scapoos to keep my insurance and maternity leave, and in the house we could no longer sell. Once our second daughter was born, I surrendered to God and tried and didn't want to do this alone anymore. I could not work on our marriage and have help if I did not live with them. So I decided to set aside my pride and move back to my childhood hometown. With our two girls leaving eight years of seniority and stability and getting over myself in my past. I did not have a job. We could not pay the bills and I was unsure how I was going to make this work, but I trusted God. So I ran it on our home and on my 30th birthday, he said he had to work an overtime shift and would not come up and celebrate with me or help me load the U-Haul. 
So with my 10-month-old and my 4-year-old, I packed up the U-Haul and moved back. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6, 7. But God knew all that was coming. He set the plan in motion, preparing a way for me. Within a week of being there, I found a rental across the road from my mom's neighborhood. The vice principal when I was in high school was now the principal of the middle school. He said he got some extra money and someone just left, so he made a job to start for, for me to start ASAP. My mom was working at the Christian school and could take my oldest to preschool with her at the school every day. And a lady I knew from church had room for my baby to come to daycare. God provided and it fell all into place. I started attending the Christian church since I did not really want to go back to my childhood church I grew up in. I knew a lot of people at the Christian church. I felt like home instantly. Maybe this was going to be all right. I had so many people who knew me and helped. And I was back near my mom to be her support and her to be mine. I was fully moved in and settled within a month. It was crazy how easy everything was given and provided to me. God is good. And he was preparing me for my next storm. For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke one thirty seven. Within two months of living back in my hometown, my life started to unravel again. I started getting anonymous letters and phone calls that my husband was cheating on me and possibly had another baby with somebody else. He had been lying about so many things and was doing very bad stuff while living without his family for the last year. I did not want to believe it. But when I found proof in my own vehicle one morning going to work, it all came true. Years of telling me I was crazy and making stuff up was all a lie and everything came to light. Not only was he not faithful multiple times, he also took my information and had three credit cards I did not know about and racked up thousands in debt of drink with drinking and gambling that I wasn't aware of. He always did the bills and finances, so I felt dumb that I didn't even know what was going on and was very deceived. When we were both working full-time jobs and I could not even afford diapers for my baby, I knew there was something going on. It just kept coming. Every week there was a voicemail, a letter, people calling me, things he had been doing. They were even calling my mom's house and leaving messages on her voicemail. He moved out and got in trouble at work, pulling a gun out on his girlfriend when the baby was in the room. Turned out not to be his. But now was under investigation with the state police and could not pass a lie detector test about a physical violence on duty and turning off his camera when he forgot to turn off the audio one time in his patrol car. He was taking home drunk 16-year-olds in the front seat of his cop car, and the list keeps going on. I was living in a nightmare soap opera. I was even coaching track at the middle school to make extra money at the time and was pulled out of practice once by the DA to ask me to testify against him to put him in jail and another by the police chief to give him information about finding him so he could arrest him on warrants, writing bad checks at the bars. Getting through this year was nothing short of a miracle. Without God giving me the strength, hope, and courage to get through things, I never knew I could. I can't even explain the peace I had during the storm of life, but God could. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven. The parallels of both these times and my dad's as a child were crazy. I was back in the same town. I was working at the middle school I was in back in seventh grade. The same people around me. 
My husband was all over the newspaper and radio stations with people in the community knowing I was married to this man. I was being publicly humiliated for over a year, again, as well as him calling me the derogative homosexual name I was called back in seventh grade, because he could. I was trying not to work. I was trying to work full and was living in his car after being fired. I was now raising my girls on my own, called every name in the book, and was screamed at on a daily basis, sometimes in front of my little girls. I was also being bashed by his family, saying that I was a horrible person, a bad mother, and not a very good Christian, since I was not staying married to him. Since he was not working and, and homeless now, the judge said he had to come to my house and babysit for me while I was at work. He would come in and bring the gun to just sit on the counter just to intimidate me. He never watched his kids to this point, and now I have to leave my babies with him. There was one day he took our baby, who was one, out of our house. They were gone when I got home from work and did not even let me know where they were going or leave a note. I called everywhere I knew and drove around everywhere looking. We had found them at his girlfriend's, but he would not tell me where they were. About six hours later, he came back with her just to scare me and never told me where they were. This was just a hard time for me since I felt like I had no control on how to keep my kids safe. I had such a hard time during this time when I was, because I was raised that marriage is a lifetime commitment and you do not get divorced. You forgive and make it work and trust that God does not want a broken marriage. I did not want to be a single parent or share my kids. I felt ashamed, heartbroken, saddened, like a failure, that God was disappointed in me. But in the midst of disappointment, know that God is listening and hears your cries, and he is a source of comfort. He will always hear you, whether you are happy, sad, heartbroken, or disappointed. Psalms 18.3 I had done everything right that our world says to do. I went to college. I worked hard. I got multiple degrees. I got a job. I dated a man who went to church and knew Bible verses. I got married after dating more than two years, bought a home, then had children. And my life still was out of my control and blew up in my face. I don't really remember everything from that year since I was on full survival mode. But God does love a good story. I could have gone the other direction and really been mad at God and walked away from my faith. But I could see that he set me in a place of comfort and with my mom to help me with my one and five-year-old with a community surrounding me with love and support and finances that I would have not gotten in any other town. He knew what was coming and prepared me for just that. During one of the worst years of my life, I also was more blessed than anything. God is so good. I would get diapers and milk dropped off at my door. My church family paid my rent and some bills in a, for a couple months. I had family members pay my all my attorney fees. I had work crews just show up and help me load the U-Haul again to move in with my mom. A close friend bought my car since I couldn't afford car payments and got rides and picks up from my for my girls from many friends. My oldest sister was giving me gas money. I was in a home a home group that would pray for me and rode the storm with me. My mom babysitting and picking the kids for me, picking the kids up for me, and my brother and his wife giving me their car to have in so many more times that God was faithful and provided. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9
I remember one time it was a very stormy, stormy night before I had moved out of my rental. It was around midnight and the girls were asleep. I had a knock at the door and it was my soon-to-be ex-husband. He said he was cold and he was sleeping in his car and asked if he could just sleep on the couch for the night. All of me inside was screaming, are you kidding? But I actually felt bad for him and I said yes. I laid in my bed all night so scared that he was in my house and the girls were asleep across the hall. He had come back to the bedroom doorway and just stood there. I remember crying really quietly so he did not hear me and I just prayed and prayed. This was the night I physically felt the presence of God. I felt held and God just whispered to me all night, I have you. This lasted for many hours until he finally fell asleep. If you have never experienced the presence of the Lord, it is so powerful and unexplainable. With so much warmth and peace, God was there and he was very real. The Lord is near the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalms 34, 18. After a 14-month fight in court and having to file bankruptcy for his accrued gambling debt, I was out. Completely broke with only a little. But me and my girls in faith and hope that I was going to be okay. I prayed so much and decided to leave that community again to start over. I left a full-time teaching job with no job lined up. I stepped out in faith, trusting God and knowing he was going to provide since he always did. At all times, we must learn to forget the past and forge ahead. If we fail to let go of the past, it is very difficult to move forward. Isaiah 43:18. My best friend talked to her neighbors about a rental back in Scapoose across from her, and they found out my story. I had no job and bad credit now, so I couldn't even get an apartment or rental anywhere on my own. Normally renting for $1,200, my friend's neighbor rented to me a four-bedroom, two-story house for $700, since this is what I could afford. I was applying everywhere for jobs, but they were not hiring any teachers back in 2009. I was planning on subbing, but could not afford childcare. I got a call to come into an interview with the Oregon Virtual Academy. I had applied to so many places, I didn't even know what this job was I was interviewing for the day. It was an online teaching job that no one had heard of at the time, working from home and making my own schedule. I would be on salary, I would have insurance, still had the PERS retirement. They hired me on spot. I started that week. God provided, again. Within a couple months, I had a house, a job from home that I would not have to pay for childcare, across from my best friend and near both my sisters to help me with the kids. It all fell into place again. And God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 19. My life was back on track. I was given sole physical legal guardianship of both my girls with only visitations to their dads and supervision at the, at their, at his parents' house. And the baby had to be three before any overnights. This is not ideal, but the best I could get. And my girls and I were going to move forward and live our lives. I could raise them now in a godly and positive environment. I was going to be okay on my own. And of course, my girls, I had my girls. I would not go back and change anything since the girls were my biggest blessing out of the whole storm. They did have to grow up fast and learn how to take care of themselves when they were not with me. They have seen and gone through things no no one that little should have to. Their dad's way of disciplining was headbutting and pinching and cursing and yelling at them. I could not protect them from everything, but God was always with them. 
I talked to them about life, about hope, about how God knows everything and is in control and how he was using them. They would see such bad things with alcohol, drinking and driving, verbal abuse, and watching them be lied to and manipulated. In the last 13 years, I have had to live with that. And I'm still living it. But God is in control and knows all. He is more powerful and loving than than we could would ever know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Jeremiah 29:11. And God is so good, and he does want to give us blessings. And he wants to see us prosper. So, of course, even when you're not expecting it, God drops blessings in your lap. Then walks in this guy in my life. He was all wrong. Number one, I did not want a relationship. Number two, he was a cop. And number three, he was not raised in a church or knew much about God. In my eyes, he was not good for me at all. Greg was stationed in Astoria as a state trooper and thought I lived in Warrenton when I actually lived in Warren. We laughed saying the only reason I even went out with him was that on our first date was that we grew up together from our hometown and I thought we were just catching up as friends. But I was not looking for anything and I was definitely not doing this cop thing again. But God only knew what I needed. Greg was raised in my hometown and lived around the corner in my neighborhood growing up, playing with the neighborhood kids and even had my dad in fourth grade. He knew my mother from subbing and his stepmom was my bus driver for all my sport events. We knew all the same people. He was a year older than me in school, but we never dated. Who would have thought anyone in the world and this hometown neighborhood boy was my gift from God? Greg was kind, lifted me up when I needed it and helped me put back, helped to put me back together. He reminded me of who I was before and he loved my girls. He had never been married or even had kids on his own. He had, we had so much in common and he made me feel safe and at home. We had an amazing connection. I say he balances me since I'm a high-strung a lot of the times, and he's just a go-with-the-flow and an optimistic kind of person. After two years with my best friend, I could not deny it any longer, and we were married. Wow, how different this was. This is what marriage was supposed to be like, kind and loving to each other and just wanting to see your partner happy and support them. What was that about? God yet again showed me that he was the run... He was the one writing my story, not me. Greg loved my girls and me, baggage and all. He did not have to take us on, but loved us all unconditionally. We were engaged. We found property in Astoria with amazing neighbors that are now like family. We bought it, built a house, got married up in Alaska, and moved in in less than a year. If you know anything about the Astoria housing market or building a home, this is unthinkable. I also got drawn for a a once-in-a-lifetime bighorn sheep tag in Oregon to go on my honeymoon that year. Let's face it, that was more of a blessing for my husband than for me. But a pretty amazing year we did have. This was almost too easy that it could only have been God's handiwork in my life of blessing me and being faithful that he was doing all of it. We started church shopping and found Coastline Christian Fellowship and found our home. The pastor at Coastline was at Applegate in Southern Oregon when I started going back to church in college. So I had a connection. He did wear flip-flops, but I got over that really quick. They taught verse by verse through the Bible. God's word in this church lifted me up and encouraged me. I'd have been Christian all my life and learned so much in a very little time. 
My eyes were opened more than they had ever been before, and I felt like God gave me this wonderful church family. Four years later, God blessed us again with our son, and our family was complete. Garrett was an 11-pound healthy baby boy. He brings all of us so much joy and happiness that we needed. How is I? How have I deserved so much love from God? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James 1, 17. Now, of course, our marriage is not perfect, but we work at it every day like all of us do. Greg came to Coastline with me and got baptized one Easter during our first year we were here. We are just two sinful people who are trying to do their best to live together and walk with Christ. When we fall, we pick each other up. Neither one of us is perfect, and I know that something else might happen in life, but I have my story to remind me that God is always there and has always been faithful. During this time of putting me back together, my dad got very sick with COPD, lymphoma, liver cancer, emphysema, Agent Orange, just to name a few. He soon passed away from his underlying condition of AIDS. This did not surprise any of us due to the lifestyle he was living. When my dad left when I was in seventh grade, we never really got our relationship back. Now I have no time left to tell him I forgive him, to know him and love him like Christ loves us. This lives with me daily with regret, but I give it to God. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Psalms 55, 22. Fast forward eight years, I was still working with the Oregon Virtual Academy living in Astoria. I was just not happy with where I was any longer for many years to this point. I had prayed and asked God to give me a door with a sign for my next adventure. And all I got for years was just be happy with where I put you. This is where you're supposed to be right now. In January of 2020, my coworker who was working, who I was working with lost both her children at Falcon Cove in a horrific accident with a king tide wave. This tragedy was unimaginable. I took over the student support team for her and myself and just one other had been at the school the longest and knew all the ins and outs of running the school. I had worked under her for the last few years and knew I was the only one who could do her job without training or any blink of an eye to keep the school going. COVID hit that March and I was doing two full-time jobs, had lots of responsibilities with 1,400 students in our school and home with all my kids, as well as helping a team cope with the tragic event that hit our whole school so hard. In the midst of all this chaos, I felt so at peace that this was why I needed to stay and to help my friend and the school to get back on their feet. I was where I was supposed to be. The peace that surpasses all understanding is a real thing. My coworker was able to be off for three months to try to put her life back together. When she returned, I could work with her to ease her back into full time. Once fully back, God gave me a green light and I felt at ease to leave and find my next adventure. After teaching for 20 years, changing jobs is not really what you want to do. But I knew this was from God. Within a month, I had heard of a teaching job in our local district, applied, interview, hired within a month at the same school my son Garrett would be going to so I could be with him for the next three years. With all my online teaching experience now that a lot of people do not have in a pandemic time and schools being closed, they quickly gave me a job. Again, when things just felt handed to you, there's no doubt it was God's hands in all of it and his timing is perfect. When the time is right, the Lord will make it happen. Isaiah 60, 22. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isaiah 43, 2. Did you notice that God uses the words when? He did not promise us life would be perfect, but when we go through troubles, he will be with us. I wake up every morning and have to choose either to listen to the enemy that everyone will leave me. People close to me will cheat, lie, and hide things, and then I'm not worthy to be loved. But living with fear is the opposite of faith, and it's not really living. So I choose to believe what the scriptures say, who God tells me I am, that I am a child of God, and I am unconditionally loved, and he will always provide. This world will disappoint, but God. I have said these things to you that in you, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, 23. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. Everything in this world will fall short except Jesus Christ, who is the source of all comfort. Sin not only affects you, but your choices will affect all who love you. Don't keep your focus on worldly circumstances, but turn your eyes upon Jesus and things of this earth will go strangely dim. We are all broken, but the gospel of Jesus gives us hope that this is not our home and God loves us. He is the artist and we are his masterpiece. He takes all our broken pieces and puts them together like a beautiful mosaic and his light shines through his work of art so that all can see the light of Jesus shining among our storms. Through all my fires, In hard times, he was there and gave me strength to move on to make me his beautiful masterpiece. No, I do not know my future, but I serve a God who does. Let my past remind me that you will never fail, Lord, and tell my soul it is well. Go ahead and stay up here for a second so I can pray for you. You guys might not know this because she did such a great job, right? She did. Like, this is not, like, this is something she wrestled with. We, we've had more than a couple conversations over the years on her giving her testimony. And so this is something that the Lord kind of constantly was kind of putting on her heart. And she she was obedient today. And, and uh, the grace of God was evident in you. The grace of God has been evident through your life. So... Um, thank you for sharing that. And I would encourage you guys. I mean, were you guys encouraged by that? Yes. I'd encourage you, like, I, I would guess that specifically some of you, there were specific parts of that that you needed to hear today and that the Lord just really spoke to you specifically, individually, and where you're at and something you're going through, you've gone through. And I would encourage you to share those with her because we we again it's encouraging us to hear how the lord the lord being reminded he is working he is using this all i did was just share of all he did and and he used it to encourage someone else so you know follow up with her and and tell her that let's go ahead and pray for her as the worship team comes up here dear heavenly father lord god i just lift up my sister and her family thank you lord she she quoted the verse that was just on my heart there in john 16 33 lord you've overcome that's why we can take courage. All of the adversity she faced, which was no fault of her own, just this, this fallen world is a result of living in that. And we know you're not responsible for the bad things. It's because of sin. But no normal person could make it through that, Lord. And we're not expected to. 
This is why you came into the world. So you could come into our lives. And because you've overcome this world, we are overcomers in you. You have given us victory. You are the one that has seen her through and used everything that the enemy meant to defeat her, to destroy her. You used it all for her good. And she stands here today because of you as a precious daughter of God who has been given precious daughters of God and a loving husband of God. And we give you glory for all that, Lord. All of us have these testimonies of similar things, of just your faithfulness and your goodness. And we know that that, that story is just going to, is, is being written. It's going to go for eternity as we experience your grace and your favor in our lives. So I thank you for her willingness to share that with others. And I pray even now that it would continue to keep encouraging us. For those of us specifically going through similar things that needed to be reminded today, maybe there's some here that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, and and they're going through these things by themselves without you to lean their, their head on, to go to for comfort, to go to for peace, to experience your power in their lives. And today can be the day that they believe in your son, Jesus. And they might have come here without knowing you, but they leave here with you personally in their lives with them wherever they go, overcoming the obstacles that they can in themselves because of your great love for them, Lord. Thank you, Father, so much for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do in the sugar's life. In Jesus' name, amen. I would encourage you guys, what we're going to do now is just uh, in this service with a, a song of praise, giving praise for our sister's testimony, for our own testimonies. We're going to have our prayer team around the room. And, and I would encourage you, if, the, if, if there's something that the Lord ministered to you and, and you need prayer for something specific, come up and get prayer. We'd love to bear that burden with you. We're not supposed to go through things to learn. If you're somebody that... You don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're just visiting here today. Somebody invited you. You don't even know why you came, but this is why you came. Because God wants you to know him personally. So you're not trying to overcome things that you can never overcome in this world. The hard things that he was honest that you're going to face because we live in a fallen sinful world. It's not because of God. It's because of our tendency to do wrong. But he can save you from it. And it starts with a relationship through faith in his son, Jesus. And you can come up and we'll lead you in a prayer for that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just so encouraged by just... There were many trials in that testimony, but you overcame every single one of them. That's what you do. That's all you are able to do. You're the one that, you're the way maker as we sing in that song, Lord. You're the one that makes a way when no one else can make a way. <laughs> and we praise you for that, Lord. Truly in this world, apart from you, there's no reason to have hope. It's a hopeless situation. But with you, we've been given sure hope, a sure expectation of coming good because you've told us that's what we can expect. At the end of any any given situation, you're going to be good in it. Not all things in this world are good, but because you're good, you're going to work them for our good. And we've seen that time and time again, just as our sister reminded us. And because you've been faithful in the past, we know you'll be faithful in the present. So Lord, have your way. May this 
May as we lift these praises up to you, may we not just be singing songs, but proclaiming these truths. In Jesus' name.